Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you on this. Uh, well, summer has arrived here in mid-April. And fellas, you know what that means, right? It's transfer season. Everyone's transferring everywhere. There's literally no players left on the men's basketball roster. And even fewer left on women's. They don't, they're not dealing with any transfers. But, like, uh, I, I don't know. Do you guys have any eligibility left? Like, they, they need some bodies. Come on, Jeff. Just let it out. Let, it, let out oh, all, yeah, ahead, all go your ahead. angst, all of your panic. I'm not here to have fun and play games. It's been an emotional couple my, weeks for Murray. It's been a couple my, emotional weeks for Jeff there. You know, he lost his beloved Alliance Football League. He's the only person in America shocked <laughs> the league is still not in existence. And now he's panicking because there's players leaving basketball. Firmly planted on my goal light panic button. I'm, re- I'm ready to do it. We are blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for UCF sports news analysis and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, we can be found at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret and at UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. Follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. And you can subscribe to our podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever it is fine. Podcasts are given away for free. Okay, lots to talk about. Um, we'll catch up on men's basketball and the, and the personnel news that's going on around there, of which Johnny Dawkins is not a part, surprisingly enough. Um, we will uh, preview UCF Hall of Fame, which will be taking place on uh, Friday. We've got... A little earlier this week, we had some uh, interviews that we posted. We've got uh, Eric Lopez uh, got an interview with Allison Trella, formerly Allison Keim, uh, who will be the second ever inductee from UCF softball in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Catching up uh, with her. And we'll talk, catch up on uh, baseball, softball, and uh, football spring game coming up as well. We'll spend probably about like 30 seconds on the spring game because I hate freaking spring football, and I know you guys do too. But, I got uh, big news on the spring football game that uh, you guys are going to want to tune in for, though. I got I got big news for you, too. It should not be called a football game because it's not a football game. But anyway, um, let's talk about men's basketball and what has actually turned out to be a busy news day. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday, April the 10th. And news came down in the afternoon um, that uh, Terrell Allen for UCF, uh, who still has, uh, who, who is, it will be searching for a graduate uh, transfer. Um, and this is in addition to a couple guys who've already left. Um, Chase McSpadden obviously has transferred over to Stetson. Word uh, also came down that Miles Douglas is seeking a transfer. Now, with regards oh. with regards to Terrell and Miles. Not necessarily meet that doesn't necessarily mean that they are transferring. Uh, they so may Miles Miles is leaving. Miles is definitely leaving. Okay, but oh, maybe yes. not Terrell. He might do a <laughs> he might pull up Matt Williams. Um, oh. This is in addition to Aubrey Dawkins declaring for the NBA draft, which was not unexpected on uh, Monday. And the problem, which uh, Eric Lopez doesn't seem to fully understand at the moment, is. It's not the players who are leaving. It's the fact that there are players leaving that I think is getting a lot of fans into uh, panic mode. I'm not ready to fully panic yet. Um, I don't know. It looked different on social ready. media. You were about to jump off a ledge on social media. No, no. I look. I mean, but it, listen. If there's if if it turns out to be true that all these guys are leaving, I mean, especially. 
you know, with Terrell Allen, who's expected to be a pretty solid contributor next year. Is he an All-American? He doesn't have to be an All-American to be a contributor, Eric Lopez, of course. Uh, By the way, we don't have any of those guys left. In fact, we didn't have any All-Americans last year at all. Oh, okay. Yeah, just Uh, checking. I just wanted to make sure because the way everybody's reacting is like we lost multiple lottery picks. Give me a break. Come on. This is... It's college basketball. I hate, and this is, I know this is a crazy concept. When you play four years, you tend to graduate. You have to move on, first of all. So that's why we're losing the majority. Well, he of the hasn't, roster. Alan hasn't played four years. No, but he's a grad transfer. He's got his but he has, he has, Right, but he hasn't played four years. He still has a year of eligibility at UCF. Correct. He can get, a, but he can get his master's degree at UCF. A lot of, a, a lot of players can. that we know do. Or he could also seek out other options like many college athletes are doing now under the transfer portal, which they have the right to do because that's the way it is now. I mean, that's free agency. Like this idea that somehow, oh, my God, a player is going to go in the transfer portal. This is going to be the norm now in college athletics. Um, And players have the right to move on. If you just saw the national title game, one of Texas Tech's most important players, Mooney, was a grad transfer out of South Dakota. So what's going to happen here is programs like the you know South the, the South Dakotas the UCF you name them you're going to see players that will transfer and might go as a grad transfer because a marquee program might be interested in them and you know what UCF might also grab some of their own grants for transfers but that's college basketball now in a nutshell and for anybody to act shocked like oh my god like we all knew and and, and re- go to Black and Go Banner forget me forget Jeff we're both nuts uh, the only one that has any common sense. Really, in the community of Orlando is Brian Murphy. He wrote <laughs> about this in detail. No one should be surprised, right, Murph? This was going to be a rebuild year. We, you mentioned it in your article. That's why this past year was so critical to make the NCAA tournament and to have the success they did because everybody knew that this following year was going to be a rebuild. Yeah, uh, no doubt. I mean, losing B.J. Taylor and Taco Fall and Aubrey Dawkins and Chad Brown and Dayon Griffin – uh, you, there was a ton. So, I mean, regardless of whether or not Pharrell Allen was staying or leaving, UCF was going to take a massive step back next year. Uh, all this sort of does. And again, we should reiterate that Pharrell Allen may not be going anywhere. He is only right. seeking to right. train. He is only seeking his options to be a graduate transfer somewhere. Um, so he may come back, but with him on this team or off this team, uh, next year was going to be a, a, Big time rebuilding year for UCF, where they're going to compete to basically stay among the top half in the AAC with or without Terrell Allen. Now, he is an important player. He got significantly better on offense this year. He's a very good defensive guard. He passes the ball well. He's kind of developed an offensive game in the paint that he feels comfortable with. Um, he's, a, he's an okay three-point shooter at times. So he's gotten better. I mean, he, he would be a, a, a nice player to have for the next season. But to think that all of a sudden this team is doomed or that the program is ruined or what's happening, what's going on, uh, you know, to panic uh, because Terrell Allen might leave along with Miles Douglas, Chancellor McSpadden, that is inconsequential because regardless of those guys being on this team or off this team, UCF is probably not going to finish in the top half of the AAC next year because it's just a, it's a full rebuild. All right. Murph, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate and and put on my panicking hat fan here, and I want you to try and answer these questions as concisely as possible. All right, mm. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the regular rotation, mm. guys who played 28 games or more for UCF, and the only guys who are coming back are Colin Smith, 
yeah. at least as of right now. Colin Smith at 8.0 points a game. If Terrell leaves, let's 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 say he does leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Caesar De Jesus at 3.4 points per game and Frank Burtz at 3.1 points per game. Mm-hmm. Who is going to lead this team? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, you want me to want, I, they don't have a BJ Taylor. And, I, and if BJ left, it was BJ gone. I think the leadership role probably would have gone to Terrell because he's an experienced guard and you want in college basketball, you want your guards to be your best players. Uh, and so it would make sense. It would fall to him. But if you look at their backcourt with, you know, like Darren Green, like Darren Green's a freshman signee. Tony Johnson's a point guard, but he's only verbally committed. You have Burtz and DeJesus. Like there's no leadership in that backcourt that we know of. Colin Smith's the best player on this team by far. He could be a legitimate star player in this conference uh, as he continues. He's only a junior next year. Um, but yeah, uh, this team is thin. It's going to be rough. And we'll see how UCF fills out. It's I think they have four scholarship spots that are open now after you know yeah. Chase McSpadden left and, and everything else. But uh, we'll see how they fill it out. But it's rough. Uh, and that was not concise, but I'm not, I'm not a very concise person. Uh, next question for you. Yeah. Um, Oh my God! Does this mean Johnny Dawkins is leaving? No, because there's only two jobs in the high major programs that are open: St. John's and Cincinnati. And uh, I don't think he's oh my in God, Cincinnati. he's going to Cincinnati. He's going to Cincinnati. He's, with, he's pulling. He's pulling a, a reverse Donnie Jones. He's going yeah, to a con- deal. It's close to a deal. That would uh, <laughs> that that would make no sense for him to go lateral movement to Cincinnati. And uh, no, I don't think he'd be going up to Piscataway. Uh, I think you've been to Biscataway more than Johnny Dawkins has, Jeffrey. St. John's is not in Piscataway. Let me tell oh, you. Oh, that's Rutgers. That's Rutgers. Where, Rutgers. where is St. John's at? St. John's is in Jamaica, Queens, baby. Okay, sorry. I got to change that in my article. So, yeah, I have live edit. I have live <laughs> ah, edit article. Live, <laughs> live edit. Live edit. Anyway, so no. But maybe, 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 by the way. There are only there are only two there are only two jobs in the high major realm that are open and he and unless he wants to go to one of those two he's not going to Cincinnati for for damn sure he's not unless he wants to go to like Kennesaw State you know or one of the lower like a son he's not going anywhere so no Johnny Dawkins isn't leaving stop it okay all right all right um it is it is a challenge uh, or it is definitely going to be a challenge I mean now it's uh, now Elo I think that this is really interesting from the perspective of which team is going to be able to rebuild the quickest, men's or women's? Because the women's oh. team lost seven players themselves. Off yeah, the but the the women is a lot easier. No disrespect, but the talent pool in the women, I mean, it's not as big of a gap as in the men. Like the men, they're going to struggle. I mean, Memphis is going to be really good next year. Uh, Houston is going to be really good. And I think South Florida obviously brings a lot of personnel back. Uh, Cincinnati is kind of a mystery. Yeah, Wichita, Wichita State, State brings back a lot really of material good. back. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Cincinnati's kind of a mystery now with, let's see who they replace Cronin with. Whereas the women, the talent pool's not that big of a gap. Like, I mean, it's not like, oh my good, we got to, you know, chase down Cincinnati for second place in the American. I mean, it's it's a very, with the right people coming in as young players, they can easily, I think, replace that. So I think the women's easier uh, from that standpoint than the men. But my thing is, why are people like all of a sudden in shock? Did people just think that this was going to like, you know, we're going to just, you know, get off the bed and win 20 games every year? I mean, Miami, which is to me, programs like Miami, Florida State, and UCF, they, these programs aren't going to make the tournament every year. It's just not in this, in the, you're not a blue blood. 
uh, as, as Murph likes to say. I mean, it's just not it. I mean, look at use the Pac-12 and a lot of their programs that have more revenue and more resources than a UCF, and they struggle to make the tournament on a consistent basis. So college basketball, to me, is about trying to rebuild a team to where you can make a run with the core of your team probably by your junior year, really, realistically which is kind of what we saw now with B.J. Taylor and Taco. This was a three-year run that they had. They made the NIT the first year. They had a bunch of injuries that cost them the second year, and they made the tournament the third year. So what I think you, from a UCF perspective is, first of all, last I checked, and I could be wrong, and if if I'm wrong, we better let Murph know because he's going to go on vacation this weekend. But last (laughs) I checked, the college basketball season doesn't start this weekend, does it, Murph? It does not. Good thing. Okay. Oh, okay. So I, we, let's figure out how this we're, we're going to let's let them fill out the roster. Last I checked, they're not going to forfeit the season. They're not just going to close down the program. They're going to have a roster. Um, mostly of them are going to be young players and they're going to take their lumps. There's no question about it, but you hope that they take their lumps and you see potential there that maybe the following year or after that, you could see, hey, this is a group that could lead us to the Pope back to the tournament in a couple of years. Well, yeah, I think you. Oh, sorry, Jeffrey. I just want to say I'm yeah, looking at the tw- I'm looking at the 2021 season. Really, is maybe like the expectation that this team should be on the rise again. It's going to be at least two years, I think. Yeah, I, I, I and I think also, Eric, that you made the you made the point about how um, that this is that the fans have this expectation that you know, oh, now that we now that we almost took you know, we we, we expect to be in the tournament every year kind of like a Cincinnati or a Memphis or at least be in there more years than right. not. Now I, I agree with you that there's still a lot of a lot, a lot, a lot of infrastructure growth that has to happen before before UCF can really I agree. Consider I that. Agree you know, now they're in the process of building it. And when you have a guy like Johnny Dawkins who's who apparently at least last we heard is it, it and and I want to give uh credit to our friend um Jason Bede over at 247 because um, he reported that uh, that Johnny Dawkins met with the players this week and gave every indication that he would be sticking around. Um, if you're going to rebuild, then it's good to at least have, like we, like you said, that infrastructure in place of a program that Johnny has spent three years building. Whereas if he did leave for, say, uh, you know, well, Vandy or wherever that that all of a sudden now you're really starting from scratch. But um, you know, at the very least, that is comforting for me as someone who's more of a smart out there to that 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 he's at least there. I think this would be a lot more difficult if he wasn't. Uh, real quick before we uh, take a break, I wanted to talk about um, Aubrey Dawkins leaving because I think there have been some mixed. Uh, um, reaction to that amongst the fan base i think this is the right call i mean you have to go if you're if you're aubrey he's 23 he'll be 24 next month in may um i know he had one year of eligibility remaining but he ain't getting any younger and in the nba you know i I, it was interesting i did a little analysis of the orlando magic's roster because brian gelfand actually asked me you know uh, we got into a discussion about how many players in the nba are you know left school early? How many players played four years, and how many you know were international guys who didn't have any true college experience? Uh, if you look at the Orlando Magic's roster, seven of the seventeen players on their currently on their roster, eleven of them left college with eligibility still remaining. All right, so 
that tells you how young that the NBA is getting these guys. And I think that that doesn't, you know, that doesn't compute necessarily with fans that it's a lot of rank and file guys who are leaving school with a year to go of their eligibility. And those guys are usually in the 20, 21, 22 years old range. Aubrey's 24. He's got to go. He just came off his best game as a, as a college player. Throw that tape in and send it to every scout out there because he was doing that against one of the best defensive teams in the country with some of the best defenders in the country, and he dropped 32 on Duke like it was going out of style. So I, I categorically disagree with any fans who are like, oh, too soon, he never should have left. I, and I said this earlier, I selfishly want him to stay another year because I would love to see him do what he did against Duke and Temple in a UCF uniform, but he's he's got to go. He's got to go. If I was in his shoes, I'd be like, I- I'm out of here. <laughs> because not only that, he's got his dad, who's got all his NBA connections that we already know of. Like, the table is set for him. He'll be fine, right? I've, I've been saying this for like four months. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Well, who, who? I'm curious. Who, who actually is like disagrees with the decision? Or just selfish fans that just because we're always selfish, we want our Has players to. to stay, right? Is that what it is? Or just Has selfish? To. I mean, yeah. Okay. Because, yeah. because I mean, no, the kid's gone through. No one who's disagree- No, no one who's disagreeing. No one who's saying that John, that Aubrey should stay is looking at it from a non-biased point of view. Right. All right. right. It's, just, it's just fans being fans. If anybody says, "Oh, it's too soon. He shouldn't go yet." It's only to fulfill their their own self interest. So, uh, no, well, no, yeah. just stop. He's gotta go. Well, yeah. Like I said, like, like of course, it would be so cool to get another 30, 35 games uh, of Aubrey Dawkins in a in there's a no uniform. Of, I mean, there's right. no guarantee he gets the point. I mean, he already right suffered that shoulder yeah. injury exactly. two years ago that cost him the whole season. And that, by the way, I think that's the season that we're all going to look back at and be like, man. Like th- that was the one that we missed out on because sure, you had you Taco can, and Jay and Aubrey. Be, be thankful here. for the one that you got. Be thankful for the yeah. one because some teams don't get those. Some teams don't even get the season that UCF got this year. Yeah, you could have had two of them, but you at least had this one. It was pretty damn good. There were a lot of fun times. You beat some ranked teams. You took Duke to the limit. Like you know, at least by enjoy way. that. Don't don't and look at the other stuff. I want way. more. <laughs> No, I would take the three years. Like, I mean, first of all, the NIT run was phenomenal, and nobody yeah. expected that. There was a team that was finished near the bottom. And for all these people that are talking about, oh, we, who do we have on the roster? Well, two years ago, Dawkins fought just to have players on this roster. Like, B.J. Taylor and Taco Fall were both injured, only played one game together. Dawkins missed the entire dressing, year. He was dressing and managers somehow, every night. Right, and somehow they had a winning season. Like it was, I remember me and Murph were sitting in Amway and we're discussing, boy, that really hurts our NIT chances. Like with a depleted team, basically, he took a team there to have seasons. So we've had a heck of a run here. It's the best three year run that this program has ever had. This is a program that prior to this year hasn't made the NCAA tournament in 14 years. Like, who the hell are we to talk? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, come on. And, And for Dawkins, that tape, against duke the stock's never going to be any higher like right. you you were on you were the best player according to mike krzyzewski okay? mike krzyzewski's words and i think a lot of people would agree he was the best player on the court that's going to feature three guys that are going to be probably in the top five in the nba draft this year like he could end up being a second round pick because of that game alone and he's healthy I think, and I think Mike Shishetsky, with his connections in the NBA, will put in good word for him. Obviously, Johnny Dawkins is going to put good word. I think he's a, he's got a shot to be a second round pick. And by the way, 
Think about this. Malcolm Brogdon, that's the, to me, the, the, uh, you know, Draymond Green, these are guys that go in the second round that have good NBA careers. You could have a good NBA career yeah. in the second round because what happens is, and you brought it up, Jeff, the first round are guys that have, quote, upside and potential, but they're immature. So what happens is the longer you stay in college, the more your uh, stock drops and they nitpick right. your game. So you drop to the second round and now all of a sudden you become a bargain because you have experience playing basketball and you can make NBA rosters. And I think for Aubrey, that's going to be the key for him. He's going to have to have a good combine. He's got to be on the right team. And he gets drafted in the second round, and I think he'll have an opportunity to, to be on an NBA roster yeah. next year and get paid. Yeah, and the good thing is, like, this is not uncharted territory for him. The table is set. So yep. he'll be he'll be fine. By the way, latest NBA draft.net 2019 mock draft has Aubrey going in the very last pick of the draft to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and Taco Fall going one pick before him to the Toronto Raptors, which I thought was actually I'm um, more I'm more surprised that Taco is is popping up in some of these mock drafts because you look I, at the, yeah well yes it, and no I mean you know, late second round you could take a flyer on a guy who's right and that's all this is you're taking you're taking a flyer on a guy with a bunch of size and maybe you can expand his offensive game a little bit but with the NBA moving toward obviously the small ball up and down pace it doesn't really fit him but I, I it's it's kind of a nice a nice thing to see that he's getting some looks a, and it, popping these mocks. Right, it's like you take you always teams will always gamble on size because you can yeah, you never yeah. know. And let's be honest, the guy was tremendous against Zion. He guarded Zion yeah. pretty well, and he, he you know he had a good tournament. He his stock went up, and I think yes, I could see a team late in the draft. You know what? Let's take a let's take a shot at him. Let's what do we got to lose? You know, it's a second round late pick. Maybe we can you know develop his game a little bit more, and he could become a guy that kind of become a defensive force for a few minutes off the bench. Worst case scenario, he doesn't work out. You put him in the G League. It's not a bad gamble I, yeah. in the second, late second. Bottom line is these guys are going to have futures in the league. I, I, I wish we saw a little bit more, uh, a, a little bit more love for BJ Taylor, especially after his three point uh, contest performance where he finished in second place. But he'll um, be invited to summer league. I have a yeah, he'll be he'll yeah, be he'll be invited to summer league, and then and then we'll see what happens. But I mean, it's another one of those things where like, how many six one scoring guards are there out there? You know, I mean, there's there's a gazillion of them, and how do you set yourself apart from the competition? But you never know; he's going to get an opportunity just like all these other guys. So, all right, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. It's coming up on uh, Friday. And uh, Eric Lopez's interview with Allison, well, the former Allison Kime, Allison Trella, the second uh, UCF softball player who will be inducted into the UCF Hall of Fame. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy. This week is Hall of Fame week at UCF. Um Probably, yeah, probably the the most well decorated class that UCF has ever um, inducted. George O'Leary uh, will be inducted along with uh, two players he coached, and Brandon Marshall and Kevin Smith. We'll also see Drew Butera um, be inducted. Uh, although I think is that right? Uh, Drew is not going to be able to make it in Correct. person. Correct. Drew Butera will not be there he's in person. Just, he's got a job. <laughs> with the Albuquerque Rockies, although no truth to the rumor that, you know, because Brian, you know, he assumed that Murph would be there, that he just didn't want to show up since Murph is everywhere that Drew Butera has been. <laughs> well, that, that's what happens. Well, I heard that Drew wasn't going to be there, so I said, screw it, I'm going to San Antonio. 
And that's, where, that's where I'm going. Um, Is Albuquerque will, playing in San Antonio? <laughs> no, no. But he will not be there, but uh, everybody else in the class will be there. All right. And, and, and that includes Alini Reyes, who we had on a previous show, who is uh, with the Brazilian Flying in Nationals. from uh, Europe in the professional league. Yes. Sermon. And, and not only that, we also have Allison Kime. Well, now Allison Trella. She's been married. But, she could be Kime. Um, as, as I, I've joked with her husband. As when she's in the campus, she's Kime. That's who she is. Yeah. Kime time, it's, baby. But yeah, it's when, she, it's when she puts the cape on. She's Allison Kime, right? So, and uh, and you uh, caught up with her this week, Eric, to sort of reflect on her uh, UCF career, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a big, it's a, it's certainly Allison Kime certainly had a legendary career at UCF, led them to the 2008 Conference USA Championship, went on to play in the NPF, win the 09 Championship with the Rockford Thunder with a teammate named Cat Osterman and Megan Willis, two well well known players, and I had a chance to talk to Allison about their journey to UCF, which was not an easy journey to get to UCF. And, uh, you know, working with Coach Gillespie and the success she had at UCF. Here's my interview with now new, will be newly inducted UCF Athletic Hall of Famer, Allison Kime, here on the Black and Gold Banneret. And joining me now, she's being inducted into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame on April 12th. She becomes the second softball player uh, in UCF to be inducted into the school's Hall of Fame, joining Stephanie Best in 2015. Of course, she led UCF to the Conference USA Championship in 2008, still holds numerous records in UCF softball history. And then 10 years ago, 10 years ago, hard to believe, she was a part of the Rockford Thunder in winning the NPF Championship. I speak of Allison Kime, who joins us now. And so your resume has now been increased. excited about that how does it feel now that you get to say you're a hall of famer how does that what how's that has it sunk in yet no i don't think it ever will sink it completely in it's going to ucf i just wanted to play softball um never would it have ever crossed my mind that i would have had the opportunity to even be thought of be inducted into the hall of fame so even have that brought up my name brought up in that conversation is just an honor in itself what was your rea- reaction once you got the phone call officially and you found out you were going to be in the Hall of Fame? What went through your mind? I asked him, I was like, are you serious? <laughs> 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 I mean, you you hear the other players getting inducted in and you're like, really? Me? Out of all the people? Um, but I was re- I'm really excited. Just um, It's an honor, like I said, just to be in the same category and just to be in the category of Hall of Fame. Yeah, you're going in at a pretty good, strong class. Kevin Smith, obviously a football star there who set up a lot of rushing records still at UCF. George O'Leary, the longtime head coach at UCF. Brandon Marshall, who's had a lengthy NFL career, uh, as well as the UCF's goal, former goalie, Alini Reyes, who's now the national goalie for Brazil and is going to be in the World Cup possibly this summer with the Brazilian national team. That's pretty good uh, company to, to be had. Drew Butera, who's been in the big leagues, has won a World Series. He's also being inducted. That's a that's a who's who Hall of Fame class you're part of. I know. I told somebody at work and they thought I was lying to them. And I'm like, <laughs> why would I lie? I mean, it's going to come out if I don't. <laughs> that's funny. What, is, what, is, what, what, they didn't believe you? Like the, like the names you were no. associated Wow. Yeah, they didn't believe that I was going to be inducted in with those people. And I'm like, I know, it's a shocker, but it's truthful. I'm like, the press release is coming out soon, so just wait. Well, and it did come out. And what do you, you should have just told them who you are, which is uh, 
you know, you set those standards pretty high at UCF. You mentioned UCF. How did it all begin? Tell the audience, how did you end up at UCF? Because that was a fascinating journey as it itself, just getting to UCF. Yeah, I actually originally um, committed to University of Tampa and just had a change of heart on how um, I didn't really want to stay in the Tampa Bay area. So I decommitted for New University of Tampa. Um, and I think Renee or Coach Watson had been watching me and had heard um and so then i started getting recruited and shapiro i think also um so i started getting recruited by them and then um once i got you know my offer which was exactly what i wanted um i committed to ucf and it was the best decision i ever made the the coaches the people there the facilities are top-notch it's it's like it really is like family being um, a part of the UCF program. Um, they treat you as though you're someone special, which is great. Like, you don't get that, I feel like, at a lot of other universities as a softball player. But as a softball player at UCF, they totally, like, took care of me. Like, I was, like, their cream of the crop football player. Yeah, no, you did. And and uh, what was it about Coach Gillespie that stood out to you when you first met her uh, and then obviously played for her for three years uh, obviously built the program from scratch. At that point, they were, when you arrived, they were just leaving the A-Sun Conference and going into Conference USA. So they were, you were a part of the transition. Um, I just liked how personable Coach was. She, you know, she sold me on being able to play and actually pitch at UCF because there's a difference of actually getting recruited by a college. Um, you know, you can play anywhere if you really wanted to. It's just, are you going to or I should say you can attend any school that you really probably want to. It's just, are you going to play? And that was the biggest thing is I wanted to play softball somewhere. Softball is such a short period of time in college, four years. And I didn't want to spend four years sitting on the bench. I wanted to play and contribute to a team. And, you know, she told me it didn't matter what grade I was, that I would get that opportunity. And if I proved myself, I would get to start. Well, and you did that, and you pitched in 2006, your first year there, injured. You were not healthy. You dealt with adversity right off the bat in your first year. Yeah, that was a that, that first year was a struggle. Um, but with anything, once you overcome it, it makes you stronger and better. And it um, that injury definitely did it made me stronger, made me work harder in the weight room, and strengthening every body, part of my body to make sure that injury didn't happen again. Did it give you doubts? Did you ever wonder, can I be successful at this level? And when was the turning point when you felt, you know what, I've turned the corner, I could be successful at a very high level here? Um, never did I think the injury was going to hurt me from being successful. The biggest learning curve I got was when I went to play softball at Hillsborough Community College. Um, my first year, I remember, you know, you make it one through five. Typically in high school, one through five is your top hitters. So I was like, oh, in junior college, it's probably the same thing. So I was number eight or number nine batter. I was, you know, lollygagging it in there, and the girl hit a home run off me. And I'm like, oh, snap. I actually have to try now. So junior college helped me a lot because I realized if junior college is this tough, one through nine, Division One softball – in Florida is going to be that much tougher. So I knew going into it, like if I was successful in community college in the state of Florida, I knew I could probably be pretty successful also. It's just, I had a, 
um, believe in myself and know that I could do it because I've done it before. So you get through the 06 year, which was a tough year. It was a transition year. You had was battle. You were injured. Uh, and then you get to 07, you're healthy, and you just get on a roll. You just start dominating. Uh, you finished that year third in the country in ERA over pitchers that threw a lot of innings. There was one pitcher that had a, uh, threw less innings. But you finished third in the country behind two pitchers that is quite well known. Monica Abbott, which was her senior year at Tennessee, ended up winning player of the year, and Angela Tincher of Virginia Tech. So that's pretty good company you kept up with. But what was it about 07, your junior year, that it seemed like you just – you just click from that point on, and you raced uh, through history. You destroyed all the record books that year and moved uh, that year. But what was it about that year that uh, just clicked for uh, everything for you? I just really worked, like I said, on the off season, um, getting stronger, you know, in the weight room so the injuries didn't happen again. Um, I proved to myself when I was in high school, I tore my ACL, that, you know, I could come back stronger, and I did. And I, from the player I was before I tore my ACL to after I was – significantly better so I knew if I worked equally as hard from ACL to this injury I'd be even more successful so I you know trained hard in the offseason spent time with Casey really working on my spins and I think that's what made the biggest difference is just focusing on being stronger so I can last the full season um, because obviously for whatever reason in 06 I wasn't very strong because I got hurt you mentioned Casey. That's Casey Clark Zerby, uh, who was your has been was your pitching coach, your personal pitching coach. She's had a lot a lot of great pitchers. She's uh, she's coached over the years. Uh, what was it about her that really uh, helped you out in your career and, and made a big impact? I mean, everything she did. I mean, we talked the mental game. We talked fundamentals. Um, anyone that knows a pitcher, we're all pretty mental at times. So having that mental aspect being taught to you um, by somebody at an elite level like Casey, because Casey played at UCLA. So she played all the top players out in California. So really learning the mental game and not, you know, getting too down on yourself. You know, there's going to be days she's always taught me, there's going to be days your rice ball may not work, but you need to rely on a drop ball. So that's why you have different pitches because you don't want to rely on one single pitch all the time because it's not always going to work every single day. So you have the different tools to help you through each game um, because you're not always going to be a hundred percent on each pitch. Yeah. And you always, always thought the game through. I remember one start in 07 you had, you played Marshall in a series and what, and you dominated the first time you played him on a Saturday, I think it was. And uh, you pitched against them and, the next day, it was a swirling wind. The wind was playing havoc. It was going all over the place. And you actually changed your approach that game where you threw a lot of pitches down on the ground to get ground ball outs. And I remember you told me in the post game you did that because you didn't want, you know, the, the defense. You knew the defense was going to have a hard time on any pop-up or fly balls today. But talk about the thinking the game through from a pitching standpoint because that was very, you know, I don't know if that happens as much. There's a lot of pitch calling and things like that. But just thinking the game through and, you know, you were smart enough to look, realize the weather impact and you decided to change your game plan based on that. Yeah, it's just, you know, being one step ahead of everybody else makes you that much better. Um, I think I don't remember that game. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. You did. Um, That's my job. It's, just, <laughs> it's I mean, each, each game is not going to be the same as the one before. And so 
And the perfect example is, you know, I lived on my rice ball a lot, but Houston, they were a rice ball hitting team. So anytime I faced them, I had to throw, or no, I'm sorry, they loved drop balls. So I had to throw them more, certain players more rise balls and certain players drop balls because they're, they loved drop balls or they loved rise balls. So I had to learn each hitter to know which one to throw which pitch to. Otherwise, they were going to hit home runs off me like they did in 06 when I was hurt because I, you know, I was so, I was struggling with my wrist injury so much that I wasn't focused on each batter. And I think overcoming that injury um, made me focus a little bit more on, you know, each hitter and what, what they, like, what they want to hit and go to their weakness. I think before I was just in survival mode. Oh, that's really well. And, and, that was fascinating. And I think Coach Gillespie kind of gave you that freedom, right? Because a lot of coaches wouldn't do that. Uh, a lot of coaches kind of, hey, I'm going to call the pitches. It's my way or this way. Maybe they let the pitchers involved in it. But she kind of gave you the freedom to call the game how you would want to call it, right? She did. I think because I came with the confidence that I wanted to have control over the game and I can prove to you that I can do just as good as somebody else, I can see the batter in front of me where the coach off to the side can't see, you know, where the hitter's hands are, how they're standing in the box, if they're up front, if they're in the back. As a pitcher, I can see all of those spots that they're standing in the box. So I can, if they're standing up front, they're going to probably try to catch the rise ball a little bit sooner, depending on which pitch breaks first. Um, you know, drop balls typically, my drop balls typically drop later. So I'm going to throw them a rise ball because they'd break a little bit earlier. So if they're standing in the front of the plate, I can try to throw them a rise ball. Whereas if they're standing in the back of the plate, they're going to catch the drop ball in the end and they're going to swing and miss. Whereas the coach on the side, they can't see all those things that a hitter ha is doing in the box. And so I wanted, I came to coach with the confidence that I can call my own game and I can do just as, as good, if not better than whoever else is going to call the game because I can see the hitters and I can read them up front. Yeah. And that was kind of the unique relationship you had with her. Cause she's told me that, you know, she trusted you as far as calling the game, and really she felt that her role was because you were so competitive that you would be very hard on yourself if you didn't, if you felt you didn't pitch your best. And she would be the type that would lift your, you know, be positive and give you the confidence back up because you would beat your, yourself up. That's what she would tell me. Uh, talk about that because you were super competitive. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times you carried that on your own shoulders with the, the unique pressure that is always when you're a pitcher. Yeah, and the biggest thing that Coach did, too, like she said, um, you know, I am, I'm extremely tough on myself because I expect a lot. Um, but anytime I would have any struggles, she would just come out there and be like, you've done this before. Like, I don't know why you're stressing out. <laughs> 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 Which is true. Like, I've been in those situations before. Casey's put me in those situations. Like, so it was just a matter of just probably reassurance at that point because in the middle of the game, it gets – it, it gets heated. You don't think sometimes, and it is nice for it to be called, you know, a coach to call timeout. So you can clear your head and really think logically through like, okay, this next batter, I've struck her out three times on a rise ball. So I need to throw a rise ball. But if you're, you know, in the game and just, you know, hit after hit after hit, and you're not stopping the game, you're not going to think who's up to bat. And they've struck three times. They uh, have struck out three times on rise balls. So just coach always came out, they would just reassure me that I, you know, that I can do it. And she knows that I can do it. That's why I'm still in the game. 
And she always wanted you to get into coaching. Did you ever think about going into coaching? Because uh, she always – I know she tried to, like, push you into get into coaching, but you never wanted to do that. But she felt you would have been a great pitching coach uh, in, in the sport. Uh, why uh, – did that ever cross your mind? I never – growing up, I never really wanted to be a coach. Um, I did individual lessons, which is fine. But once you get to an elite level, it's just – I mean, you really have to be dedicated to it. And I didn't know – um, if I could be that dedicated to something because, you know, like eventually I wanted a family and to have children and I see how much to have a good program like coach had, she was always away and I didn't want to be away from my family and my kids. So that I knew early on that, you know, if I wanted kids that I probably wouldn't coach softball because it would take away from my family time. Your last game of 07, it was a conference semifinal game against ECU. You went 12 innings, and I, as I understood it, you were pitching with a heavy fever. Like, there was some talk that you might have had to go to the hospital. Do you remember that game and how you were – you were not feeling well. I know that. Uh, but yet you overcame oh, yeah. that. I mean, how serious was that? Um, I think I had strep throat um, and the head – football trainer um her name's escaping me but she was in the softball training room with iv because if we had one i was going out to pitch another (laughs) of course (laughs) yeah so but uh yeah i was not feeling well that i remember that game i remember i just remember it because they had the iv in the training room ready to stick a needle in me to get me going for the next game. <laughs> I remember that. They told me before the game, uh, Sarah Tara, shout out, uh, who's the SID at the time, they weren't sure you were going to pitch, or at least you didn't think you were going to pitch. And then not only you pitched, or then they thought, well, maybe if she pitches, but, you know, they're going to, you know, she ain't going to go the distance. They, and, and all by the you, not only you did, you did. You went 12 innings. Uh, so that would have been crazy if you would have pitched the champ. But that was back in the day where, the pitchers threw every game, right? It's not like now, and I know you've broadcasted games since, so you've seen it where teams now more go via the staff. So, in fact, some pitchers now marvel, like, really, I got to throw two games in a day? Like, they kind of get freaked out a little bit. As, is that the biggest change you've seen in the game that, from a pitching standpoint that now, and I've talked to a lot of coaches, you know, they're, even from travel ball on, they don't throw as much as they used to uh, when you were playing. Oh, 100%. It, it's totally – I mean, you have, like, Florida that has four aces on their squad. And that was unheard of. Usually you have one to two. But now, like, each, like, program, yeah. SEC, yeah. ACC, Pac-10, like, all those schools have four number one pitchers on their team. And they all probably pitch four innings, and then somebody else comes in. It's that That is the biggest – it's mind-boggling to me because I never wanted to be taken out of a game. I wanted to finish the game. Um, and – you know, the strep throat at UCF was just one of the times I got sick. I remember playing travel ball. I had a double ear infection, but I went out there and pitched because I wanted to play and I wanted, you know, I wanted to be a part of the game. And I don't know if what's changed along the lines, but if I was still playing to this day, I would still want those same things because, you know, like I said, college is so short. Um, yeah, you have the MPF, but it's like the elite of the elite because there's not very many teams. Um, but I wanted to play because I didn't know if I was going to get drafted into the NPF. So I wanted to play four years as well as I could and put my whole heart into it and never leave anything back because 
that's all some players get is the four years in college, and I wanted to make the best of it. And you did in your senior year, 08, uh, monster year. You uh, led UCF back into the NCAA tournament, and then you win the Conference USA Championship in Houston. You beat a top-10-ranked Houston team led by their own All-American pitcher and Angel Shamblin, who you knew very well, who was also coached by Casey, which brought up a lot of fascinating storylines. I know you both have laughed about this, but from the outside, there was a lot of chatter about the two of you because there was a lot of talk about, do these two even get along? They don't get along. I remember in the press box, I kid you not, I've done now this 12 years. I've never seen a press box stop and then silence than when you came up to the plate against her and when she came up to the plate against you. It was almost like this anticipation, and they were like wondering, like, is she going to throw at her? Like, it really was. <laughs> it was. It was just really funny, and then funny to learn later on that you two got along. Just describe, though, what that was like to play Houston as good as they were, and then Angel and that rivalry, and then that's – there it is, the biggest stage, Conference USA Championship game, uh, trying to win a title at her place. Yeah, I just – I don't, I, yeah, I mean, it's all such a whirlwind. I, you know, beating Houston's such a big deal because they were so great. Um, Angel's so competitive and so am I. So, I mean, we both wanted to do the very best that we could against each other's team um, so our team could come out on top. So, take me through. Um, and what, what was that feeling like when you got that line drive from Nordstrom? You caught the ball, you threw back to Bree at first, Brianne Javier at first base for the double play. And you just realized you just won the conference title. I just remember, I mean, it wasn't a hard hit ball. So I, I had t plenty of time to react. But I was like, just in a brief, like two seconds, I was like, don't mess this throw. It was a different <laughs> word in there, but don't mess this throw up. <laughs> and I kind of, I don't think I shot it over there. I probably lobbed it over there because I wanted to make sure, you know, Nobody dropped it. I didn't throw it too hard, you know. Um, but I just remember that split second, like, don't mess this up. Like, you got, like, this is a double play. <laughs> yeah, and, and you didn't mess it up. Uh, and you, they, she caught the ball, and next thing you know, you guys are celebrating. You win the title uh, to beat Houston. You go to the regionals against in Gainesville. Florida was ranked number one. They hadn't lost, like, in 40-some games in a row at home. They hadn't lost, like, 36 games in a row, something like that. Uh, during going into that regional, but you had a, a memorable regional. You first played South Florida. I want to ask you, as this game kind of gets lost in the shuffle, you're at the plate in the sixth inning. You're down one, and you're at the plate. There's two outs, two strikes, a runner on. I think it was Hillary Barrows on, on base, if I recall. Uh, and you drill a triple, a two-out, two-RBI triple to get the lead. It was her and Bree, actually, I think we're on. You got a two-RBI triple to get the lead. You would go on to beat South Florida, which obviously is a big rivalry. Do you, what do you, do you recall that game in that moment? Oh, do I recall that? <laughs> yeah. I bet. There you go. I could have told you. I could have told you I had a triple die game. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you every single thing that went down against South Florida. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling you were a little expired every time you played them. You beat them. That was your highlight of your first years. You beat them up in Tampa uh, in 06. Yeah, to snap our, like, 21-game <laughs> losing streak. Yeah, I remember that. And, well, and I also remember they counted hits that weren't really hits. Yeah. Um, yeah, that whole thing was just so much fun. That was kind of wild, yeah. I mean, you beat South Florida. That was a huge – because at the time they were in separate conferences. 
they didn't play stop. In fact, he, they stopped playing after that 06 game in the regular season. They didn't play in the regular season for eight years. But obviously you were motivated because that was, you know, you from being from Brandon, Florida, USF was nearby, and you probably felt like to chip on your shoulder playing them, right? Is that, that, that all play a role in, when you, every time you saw them? No, I just hated South Florida. Like, I could care less that I didn't go to that school. It actually worked out better. I didn't go to USF. Pete would probably say differently, but my husband. Um, but it worked out better going to UCF. I truly feel like I said before, UCF is such a top-notch program. The people there are great. Not saying that USF, any knocks against them, but, you know, it really felt like home, and I don't think I would have gotten the same experience at USF being so close to my actual home. So, so Yeah, you beat South Florida in that game, and then you played Florida. We skip ahead to the regional final. You had thrown every game, pretty much every game in that regional. I think there might have been one or two innings you took off in the Georgia Tech game, an elimination game. And you beat Florida. You ended their long win streak. You pitched eight shutout innings, and you got the game-winning hit, and I call it a hit. I don't care what Florida called it. It was a game-winning hit. You drove in Tiffany Lane to win that game one to nothing and beat Florida. Uh, describe that moment in that game. What, do you, what jumps out to you from that game? I just remember I hit the ball, and I was just – I didn't know – I it, I didn't know where I hit it. I was just like, I got to beat it out. I got to give us a chance. I got to give us a chance. I just, I don't know if it was the fastest I ever ran, but I was trying to motor down that baseline as quickly as I could. Um, But you're not, I got so many text messages after that game saying that I was just, that was totally a hit. It was not an error. Well, I agree. I was there. (laughs) I trust me. I was definitely a hit. Uh, They like, you know, I don't know. I know this is shocking to you, but a lot of times in in a lot of different places, they like to score it for the home team, you know, and help out the home team, whether it be ERA or uh, for Stacey Nelson, because that's who you beat was Stacey Nelson, who, I mean, that was the thing. You pitched in an, I call it the golden era of pitching. I mean, part of the reason why you didn't get more national recognition or awards was the pitchers that were around you. You, I mean, we mentioned Tincher and Monica Abbott. Uh, but Stacey Nelson was as good as any in the country, among others. I mean, uh, what was it like to be in that era? I mean, you had Amanda Scarborough at A&M, Megan Gibson. I mean, I, I, a lot, the list goes on and on. It was impressive list. Yeah, I mean, it's – it was a t- I feel like that was one of the most competitive times in softball because you had so many elite athletes playing all at the same time. You had Olympians, and I think that's going to come back around with the – softball being back in the Olympics, you're going to have the Olympians playing. So it's going to bring that um, that feel back to the game like it was in 2007, 2008 when you had the Olympians playing because it was, it was a big deal to play against them, and it was a big deal if you got a hit against them. It was a big deal if you did anything against them. So, I mean, it was a tough time in softball. The pitchers were great, and those pitchers, like we talked about before, threw – one through seven innings, they didn't get pulled in the fourth inning. We pitched game after game after game. And we were typically, you typically were the ace on the staff and the second, your second pitcher was decent, but you'd probably have to go in and, you know, relieve them at some point. Yeah, no, it was, uh, who did you look up to? Who influenced you to play softball? Do you have a favorite player or somebody you looked up to? Uh, Probably Casey. Um, just because she played at UCLA, she was, you know, Monica Abbott and Kat are, you know, six, two and Jenny is six foot. So like they're, they're very tall women. I'm 
maybe five seven. So, you know, the height wasn't there for me. Where Casey, she was a little bit shorter than me, but I saw how successful she was at her size. Like you didn't have to be six one to be successful. You could be five four and still pitch uh, for UCLA and do well. So. Um, it was probably Casey just because, you know, she, she looked like me, like we were the same size, like, you know, we, yeah, we were just like the same size. So it's just, you know, you're relatable to somebody like that because they did so well. Well, and that's one of the le- legacies you have too at the UCF because like Mackenzie Otis went to UCF and one of the reasons why was because she, a lot of people re, uh, reminded Mackenzie of you and that because were, she was also short and she had a change up like you did. And Shelby Turnier, who's obviously the most decorated player at UCF, has been coming All-American. She was not the tallest player. So you kind of set uh, – really kind of opened the doors for a lot of pitchers, you know, moving forward to go to UCF that maybe, quote-unquote, weren't tall enough or weren't big enough or didn't have this or whatever to be successful at UCF. Yeah, yeah. Um... I never thought of it that way, but I mean, it's great just because you're not, you know, five ten or above doesn't mean you're not going to be a good, not even pitcher or a good player. You can still do a great job um, because your abilities are still there. Just because you're short doesn't make you any less better of a player than somebody else that's six foot tall. You uh, following your UCF career, you signed on in the NPF with the Rockford Thunder and uh, Aaron Moore, who was the general manager at the time, of the Rockford Thunder. What was it that made you decide to go and play professionally? Um, I still just wanted to play. Um, it was also a time where the economy had, you know, crashed and there wasn't very many jobs. So it was just an opportunity to extend my playing career and um, have have a little bit more fun and travel for a little bit before I tried to find a job um, in the tough job market that was going on in 2008. You played two seasons with the Thunder. Uh, as I mentioned, you won an MPF championship 10 years ago. 10 years ago, this summer. That's going to be the anniversary. Uh, wow. <laughs> describe it. What do you remember? What, what jumps out to your memories there from your two years there with Rockford? It was a lot of fun. Met a lot of good people. Um, I mean, the, the competition is definitely uh, tough. I mean, you had players of all ages, but, I mean, you look at Kelly Crutchman, she's in her late 30s, I think, isn't she? Or yep, mid-30s? late 30s, yeah, she's, yeah. She's still crushing it. So just because, you know, somebody's 32 years old doesn't mean they're not going to crush a home run off you, off a 22-year-old. So, I mean, it just brought a lot of perspectives that, like, women can still do a great job, like men, and still play longer in their careers um, in softball. Um, I just learned a lot. It was fun being around people from, you know, the Pac-10 on your team to the SEC. Like, it was it was great to be around all the different um, softball players from each, you know, conference. So, give me your – as you kind of reflect on your career, because uh, you've played with a lot of great players, you've played with great teams – what what's the memories that jumps out to you when you kind of look back and you know years from now you'll be telling your kids about your career? What 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 are you going to be telling them? Man, that 2008 conference championship—that <laughs> <laughs> was probably one of the coolest things ever in my entire life. Because I mean, it was they were Houston was ranked. Um, 
Angel's a great pitcher. Their whole team had great hitters. You know, we were just the underdogs. So, I mean, that whole experience was just so cool. That was definitely cool for me. I got to see it all up close there. And now you're going to be the second UCF softball player to be inducted to the Hall of Fame. Uh, you're going to be joining Stephanie Best, which is kind of uh, maybe fitting in a lot of ways because you took over the the mantle from the program from her when she uh, obviously led UCF to the 05 A-Sun title, and you played with her when you your rookie year in the NPF in 08. So what does that mean now that you and Steph are, in a, in a weird way, now re- reunited on a new team here in the in the Athletics <laughs> Hall of Fame? I'm just honored to any, – any discussion to be bundled in with Stephanie is, you know, such an honor. She's – you know, like Kat, she's such a great person. Um, she loves the game. She does – she will do anything for you um, as a friend. Um, so it's just such an honor to be – even have my name along with her name in any category that you bring up. Well, I think she's excited that you're going to be joining them, I'm sure, April 12th. You're going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, congrats on the uh, Hall of Fame. I look forward to seeing you at the uh, ceremonies there. I'm excited for you. Uh, this was like a foregone conclusion. We're just glad it got done here in uh, 2019 <laughs> instead of waiting a couple extra years. You never know, right? I mean, that's kind of how it goes. Oh, yeah. but, uh, but congrats. Uh, and, th- and I think a lot of UCF fans certainly are excited that they'll see you that weekend and a lot of softball fans. So uh, thanks for doing this. This was good. It's like old times where we were doing interviews uh, back in the day, except you didn't have an ice pack next to you this time. <laughs> should, I, so should, I, should I just ask you about the Rays like old times? Because that was our joke, right? Like, like just to loosen you up, I would ask you about like Carl Crawford and the Rays. And you were – because you didn't like doing interviews back then. You were not the no. biggest fan. Uh, no. I remember that because I literally met you on the air – and I remember, because I would, I remember the first time I interviewed you. You had pitched a shutout, but you were not happy because I think it was Dartmouth, and you thought you should have like perfect gamed them or something. And you were so you were ticked. You were thick. You were ticked at the umpire in strike zone, and you weren't happy with your performance. And I remember like, wow. And I'm like thinking, what have I got myself into? <laughs> um, but I remember, and I, I remember you interned with the Rays. Uh, mm-hmm. And you could tell that story, and that's why I kept asking you about the race because your voice, your smile, you smiled when I brought up the race, and you wouldn't stop talking about the race. So I'm like, fine, we'll just talk about the race if that makes you happy. <laughs> hey, like I told you when we first started this interview, pitches are mental. <laughs> <laughs> well, mental, but smart as well. Very smart. I learned a lot from you on that. So I, uh, I, uh, I definitely appreciate. In fact, I remember because your husband Pete, I remember we did a Memphis USF game. And uh, he told me, well, I really enjoyed the broadcast, except for the fact you two agreed on too much. And I'm like, agreed a lot. So I remember I watched the tape and I realized, well, of course we agreed on a lot. I stole all, I, I pretty much, she influenced all my thinking as far as how softball is supposed to work. Of course we're going to agree. So you, 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 you influenced me on that. Oh, great. But uh, all right, bud, well, I'll let you go. But uh, congrats again. And uh, thanks for everything you've done for me and I think for a lot of UCF softball fans and softball fans in general. I think thank you for everything you've done for the sport and congratulations on this great honor. Well-deserved and we look forward to uh, seeing you there in the hall there and uh, and beyond down the road. Thank you. There it is, Allison Keim and my interview with her and uh, looking forward to her seeing her on Friday at the Hall of Fame induction. And uh, well, obviously we'll have more stuff on blackandgoldbanneret.com including 
Uh, an interview I had with Kat Osterman about her. I have some of the UCF greats that uh, have uh, chimed in on Allison's thought on uh, getting inducted. And you can actually even listen to more of my interview with Allison on fastpitchnews.com on the In the Circle podcast, where we go into detail about her uh, play with that Kat Osterman and playing in the pros. So uh, I'm really excited about her getting inducted. And uh, I'll yeah. look uh, Friday night uh, to see her and see Nalini and Kevin and uh, Brandon. And so it'll be fun. I know. I'm looking forward to it, too. Real quick, Eric. All right. You're Mr. Your softball woes. You're Mr. UCF softball. I need you to answer this one real quick for me. We've got Stephanie Best in the UCF Hall of Fame. She was inducted the last time, the last induction ceremony we had four years ago. First UCF softball player to, to be so honored. Ali Kaim is number two. Who's going to be number three? Uh, well, it depends a lot on how the school will do the Hall of Fame. Are they going to do it every two years, every four years? I think the, the if they do it every so often, I think it'll probably, Natalie Lane has a chance, who played from 09 to 2012. I think the two next locks are going to be Mackenzie Otis and Shelby Turnier with yeah. their resume. And that'll probably be as early as 2023 where they could be eligible based on the rules. I'm, I'm pulling for Janae Shinoster. I think if, uh, you know, if Stephanie Best is in, I think Janae needs to be in too. Um, because if you look at the record books, more often than not, right behind Steph is Janae. <laughs> and, um, and she was a blast to watch play. And the fact that she's also managed to stick around the program as well, helping out, I think, has also been fun. So, all right. Hall of Fame is going to be on Friday. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some coverage from that uh, as well. It should be, uh, should be quite the party. going to be a lot of dignitaries in the room, especially those honoring uh, Coach O'Leary uh, and two of his former players for UCF football. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, stick around. I'll be right back when we return. Catching up on baseball and softball. We'll talk about the spring football game happening on Saturday. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter if you don't already at UCF underscore Banneret. And you can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Of course, we will be on blackandgoldbanneret.com for all the latest, including UCF baseball and UCF softball. Let's catch you up on that. First baseball. Um, the Knights right now, Brian Murphy, uh, well, in the midst of conference play, they took two out of three from South Florida over the weekend. Um, it lost on Sunday. Again, this team with these Sunday games, man. I, I I don't understand it. I don't think I don't think Coach Lovelady does either. But, you know, hey, Two out of three against the conference opponent at a time when they really needed it, um, especially when you take a look at the uh, standings for UCF baseball. You know, this kind of hard to believe, but at one, uh, but heading into this series, this is a series between the two, the bottom two teams in the American right now. And um, UCF got the two out of three, but now they're at uh, three and six in the league. UCF, USF at uh, two and seven. ECU is. Well, they're killing everything in sight. They're at eight and one right now. Um, Tulane right behind them, four and two, and UConn and Cincinnati nodded at five and four. But well, I'll uh, I'll throw the Tony Kornheiser question at you, Murph. Where are we now? Uh, well, although it didn't seem very positive after Sunday's loss, um, they you know they've they've won uh, four out of five, and so. I asked uh, Coach Lovelady uh, after their game, they won in Jacksonville 8-2 to two on Tuesday night. And I asked him, you know, winning 4-5, do you think you guys are playing your, you think you're playing your best ball right now? And he thought about it for a little bit and then just said, no, not really. <laughs> because 
there's there's still a lot that this team needs to do right, and there's still a lot of flaws with this team. Uh, some of them, you know, the, some of them they can't control with injuries. You know, they've got more injuries now with Kyle Kemp, their best reliever on the year, uh, their shutdown closer. He is currently on the men with a hamstring injury that he suffered uh, in that Sunday loss uh, while covering first base. And then uh, Trevor Holloway, the Sunday starter, still out battling, battling uh, bicep tendonitis. Um, so that you know they need to get guys healthy still. Um, but you know the top four in the lineup have been solid. It's kind of the same thing I said last week that the top line has been very good. The, the rotation's been better with Grant Sherman and Chris Williams turning in back to back really solid starts uh, the, in each of the last two weekends. It's just they have nothing on Sunday because Holloway's out. So that they, they really Sundays are a complete mystery for right now, um, and that's you can you can attribute that with a lot of the losses. And the bottom of the lineup, the six through nine guys, really. Once you get past Ray Lejo and Tyler Osick, Matthew Micah, Dallas Beaver, um, and possibly Dalton Wingo, there's really someone needs to step up from that six through nine area of the lineup because right now it's kind of dead. And uh, and you know there's there's a lot of soft spots in the back half of that lineup. So there's a lot of flaws with this team, but they're winning four out of five. Um, there was a nice win in Jacksonville on Tuesday. Tyler Osick, who had been in a slump, uh, gets a you know, a grand slam in the eighth inning that really put the coffin and a nail in the coffin for UCF. Um, but all of that's great. They're undefeated in the midweek. They're now nine and zero midweek, but it's, it's the conference schedule that means things. And yeah. this team has not been out. This team has not been great in conference. They, they finally get their conference first win conference series win last weekend against USF and it ends on a sour note. So it doesn't feel like they won the series because it ends on Sunday in which they lose a game which was really ugly with errors and base running mistakes. And um, so, you know, they need they need a series that they can exit and feel good about themselves. Hopefully they can get it this weekend against Cincinnati. And they're they have to go to Cincinnati to play this series, too. Then and the mm-hmm. Bearcats right now are five and four tied for third with UConn, although they're 14 and 17 overall and eight and five at home. So they're not exactly strong up in uh, 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 up in Ohio right now. But um you know, this is a Cincinnati team that's been up and down for several years um, here in uh, and, and tr- interestingly enough, by the way, it was Ted Tom who uh, was coaching Cincinnati last year in their final game in the American uh, Athletic Conference uh, tournament and is now on UCF staff. But uh, they got the three at Cincinnati and one against FAU. And I wanted to shout out to uh, our friend uh, Sam Unger, who did point out to us and Eric Lopez that um UCF's RPI right now, interestingly enough, jumped seven spots in the last week. They were 40th. They jumped up to 33rd uh, at 21 and 12. Now, <clears throat> Murph, I know you, excuse me, Murph, I know you're like, ah, I don't put too much stock in it, but good sign? I mean, it, it's not, it's fine. It's just like, if, <laughs> if they don't win, it's not going to be good. If they win, then the RPI is going to be good. Like, it's such a, it's such a stupid statement, but like, the RPI will only be good if they win games. And this team needs to win conference series. They can't lose two out of three. They need to continue conference to build game, upon, yeah. they need to continue to build upon what they, what they did against USF and, 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 and carry it over. Otherwise, the, the, the RPI is going to drop. Let's, you know, I don't really, and again, all of this is like, you need a good RPI for the at-large berth. They're like, okay, but yeah. it's so early. We're not even like we're we're barely scratching the surface of conference season. Like, I can't even worry about the RPI because if they don't yeah. win games and they don't win games, the RPI is going to drop. So who cares? Well, we got a month and 
was, was like an Eric Lopez wow. special right there. We got, we got awesome. a month and a week left in the regular season. The regular season ends on Saturday, May 18th. Um, just a couple notes oh, on, the, uh, on that RPI, by the way. Cincinnati's 145th. Um, as far as the um, – and St. Peter's, by the way, is 299th. I just want to get that in there. But um, East Carolina, by the way, 11th. They're the top American team. UConn at 27, followed by UCF at 33. So, uh, And then the next is Houston at 51. So at least that gives you some context there. But um, Lopez, you, 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 I don't know. You, 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 go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> well, no, here, to, I mean, to Murph's point, it doesn't matter what your RPI is if you don't do well in the league. You're not going to get in under 500, for example, in your conference play out of the American. Right. Only the SEC can kind of get away with that in the ACC to some extent. Baseball America just came out with their NCAA projections, and UCF is one of the – I think it's like the eighth team out, for example. They're not even yeah, like yeah, the yeah. first four out. Right. They're the next four out. And one of the issues that – a couple of things UCF's got against them this year. Number one, this is not a good year in the state of Florida. This is very bizarre right now. And I know Murph's saying there's a lot of baseball to go, but and there is. But right now, there is a there's a very strong possibility that nobody in the state of Florida will host a regional, which is just a crazy to think about that. I yeah. mean, you usually can depend on at least one host. Maybe two is the norm. Uh, this year, it's not the case. Like, the Florida wins, which normally would be a win against a top 10 RPI. Florida's in the low 30s right now, RPI. That win against Florida State, which for the last four decades prior to this year would be a you know a signature win in your resume, is not a quality win right now. That Florida State's RPI is terrible. I don't know if you have the updated one, Jeff, but they're, I mean, that's a big story in college baseball that Mike Barton might miss the NCAA tournament yeah. for the they're first They're 90, 98th, by the way, yeah. Florida State. So, and so the point is, if there's nobody in the state hosting, there is not even that like, hey, if it's close, maybe we'll get you in because you could bust, you know, to a team. They 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 got a lot of work to do. And, and Merce's point is, I mean, you look at those American RPIs, you know, they need Houston to keep winning and maybe get that to be a quality wins. Uh, they Right now, their best quality wins are Florida, two wins against Florida in a midweek. Uh, and then they took one game from Auburn and a game from UConn. That's not going to get it in. And so I agree with Murph. I, the RPI is good, but college baseball, to their credit in the committee, they don't just go based on RPI. They, they look at a lot of different things. It wasn't like UCF's RPI was the problem last year. Um, it was the, the fact that it just didn't win enough, to Murph's point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. really. well, well, I mean, at the very least, you know, you, uh, I mean, three, uh, two, if you, again, it's like two out of three, right? If you get two out of three on the road against Cincinnati, that's going to help. Well, they have out. to, by the way. And they have to. It's not yeah. like, well, it'd be nice, you know. No, they have to because as you brought it up, Cincinnati's RPI is not very good. So if you, like, if you lose that series, that hurts a lot, a lot. Right. So uh, Friday at six, Saturday at four, Sunday at noon, at least as far as we know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that'll be UCF at Cincinnati. They come back home for the home game against Florida Atlantic on uh, Tuesday at six. So that's the midweek game, uh, that UCF will play. And then they have to go on the road again next weekend out to Wichita state, which is, uh, no easy shakes either. So, uh, all right. So that's your update on, uh, baseball. I want to talk a little softball too, uh, Eric Lopez, UCF dropped two out of three, uh, at home against Wichita state including a 10-inning decision on Saturday, 6-3. Uh, to three. But the other two were all decided by one run. UCF won 3-2 to two in the first game. Lost 2-1 to one, 
uh, on Sunday, and this is after a uh, midweek victory by one run against uh, Jacksonville at home. This is before uh, UCF welcomes uh, South Florida to uh, the UCF softball complex this week on the 12th, 13th, and 14th. So some more war on I-4 points at stake uh, in, a, in, in a race, by the way, that's already been decided thanks to UCF baseball. Now we're just running up the score at this point. But um, it, it was a little bit uncharacteristic, Eric, or was this, uh, or was this expected pretty much from, uh, from the way which – because Wichita's tough, man. They've always been tough. And – you know, even even though they're moving into they they only moved into the league a couple of years ago, they've been uh, they've been quite the challenge for UCF, especially at home. No, well, this is the second time they've played. I mean, they played last year in Wichita. Wichita swept them. They won two games via the walk off, and really could argue cost UCF the regular season title and uh, maybe a berth into the NCAA tournament. They're a very good team. They have had some injuries this year, but they got a good offense. And the problem is. Uh, UCF didn't swing the bats very well in the last two, really the whole weekend. They didn't really swing the bats. They left a lot of runners on base. And that's a problem because Wichita State has players that can swing the bat and hit it out of the park in one swing and beat you. And that's what happened on Sunday. You know, Matt, uh, Perrigan, the catcher, hit one out of the yard in the sixth inning, and they won that game 2-1. to one. On Saturday, UCF had four errors. So disappointing because you it, it, basically you brought USF and Tulsa now into a pack. And now it's a three-way tie for first place in the American. And it really, we're going to learn about this team the next two weeks because they host USF this week and then they go to Tulsa. And I think we'll know after those six games where UCF stands in the conference championship race, as well as in the NCAA tournament uh, picture. So, uh, you know, they're going to have to win these series if they want to win a championship and they're going to have to hit better. They're just going to, and I'm not saying score eight runs a game because that's not going to happen against these teams. You're not going to score runs against USF's pitching who has a, a great pitcher in Georgina Corrick, who's the co-pitcher of the year last year. You're going to have to, though, have timely hitting with runners on base and drive in the runs when those opportunities are there because they're not going to be there frequently when you're facing the pitching that you're going to face this weekend against USF. So, um, you know, that, that's the, the, to me, that's the issue with the team there. They just didn't hit with runners on base. They had opportunities to win both of those games. They just didn't put it away. And you, when you keep a team like a Wichita State hanging around, they could hurt you. And that's what happened this weekend. So we'll see how they bounce back uh, this weekend. Funny how the schedule works out like that, right? Where you're in a three-way tie for first with South Florida and Tulsa. And lo and behold, you're playing them back-to-back weekends, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a tough schedule. Uh, you know, the USF, that's a huge rivalry. I think of of all the war and I-4 rivalries within the sports, I think softball, to me, is the top one because both programs have been good at the same time consistently. Uh, since the American was formed, either UCF or USF has won the regular season title every year except in 2017. That's why I think softball has the best rivalry of the war and I-4 sports because, for example, football – Either UCF or USF every year, one of them is usually not good, except for the one year in 2017. So that's, as an example, baseball, they don't, I don't even think that's, I mean, we just saw that rivalry. That's not uh, as heated as you would think, for example. So it's going to be intense. It'll be fascinating to see Sydney Ball involved in this rivalry now against Ken Erickson. Ken Erickson's the U.S. national head coach. Sydney Ball is now an assistant on the junior U.S. national team, so there's a lot of flavor there. The pitching matchup this weekend potentially with Georgina Corrick and Aaliyah White, you can make the case those are the two best pitchers in the American. A pitcher of the year race could have a strong, strong statement here, whichever of those two pitchers has a great weekend. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be an exciting environment. It's kind of disappointing that, it's in the weekend of the spring game, so there's a lot of stuff going on. But 
it's a very important series, and hopefully uh, the fans come out for it, and it should be a fun softball series. Yeah, uh, it, it's you know, and I'm trying and I'm actually trying to pull up the uh, RPI right now. You know, usually we're you see, thirty-eight, thirty-eight. 38. Okay, in uh, South Florida, 30, yeah, in South, South Florida, twenty-eight. So yeah. you know you so get two big. out of three here. That's a big, huge. that's a big bounce. So, it's huge and, and a regular season. Tulsa's in the twenties as well. So the, I mean, that's what I'm saying. The next six yeah, games are 25. huge, huge. I mean, if they can win both of these series, even if you win one of these series, let's say you go three and three, whatever. Uh, that's still very good for your resume, uh, and you would stay in the mix for the championship. If you lose these series, you're out of the conference title race, and now you're really in the bubble. So, uh, you know, we got to take it a game at a time. Uh, I, these two teams always play close games. It's going to come down to timely hitting and manufacturing runs, and uh, there will be a lot of moves by both coaches, and it, it'll be a fun uh, little atmosphere. All right. All right. Should be good. And we've got those games coming up uh, again at the UCF Softball Complex Friday at 530 Saturday at 12.30, and then Sunday at uh, noon. And they will all be on UCF Knights TV, called by the one, the only, Eric Lopez himself. Also Saturday, like you said, spring football game. Um, and Murph, I wanted to talk to you about this. Now, I, okay, dirty little secret. We all have a very complicated relationship with the concept of spring football games. I don't I think your relationship is that complicated. No, my well, yeah, maybe it's not. I hate it. I, 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 it's not a football game. It's a glorified practice. Please stop calling it a spring football game. It's not a spring football. Game. It's, it's basically become the situation where like, it, it just, it just takes the edge off right until the summer, and, uh, but. There are some interesting things that we'll be able to maybe take a look at the game. I would say kicks off. There's not do, they're not doing a kickoff. It's at 2.30. Uh, we will see the Hall of Famers there, uh, at least the ones who are able to um, attend. Um, they're going to have uh, – they're going to have – like the food trucks are coming out and they're doing the whole thing. But um, – and I, I'm not sure – I don't know, Murph, if you found out from uh, Josh Heupel exactly how they're going to conduct this, I mean like they, – or, they, or is they, it just like whatever. <laughs> they're like they're gonna they're gonna have ones versus ones, twos versus twos, three versus threes, but we're not exactly sure which threes are gonna be on which side, and yeah, you know, are they gonna have running clocks at points, you know, stuff like that. But oh, uh, man, they're doing you know. a clock. Oh god, oh, I don't god. know. No, I don't know. I don't. I'm just saying we don't know much about anything other than we got one first teamers versus first teamers, second teamers versus second teamers. Well, I think the most interesting thing that we're gonna actually find out is what does Brandon Wimbush look like in a UCF uniform? And he um, kind of came out of the uh, he kind of came out of the woodworks today on Twitter, you know, talk, discussing about how excited he was for the game and had just had his last spring practice ever. Yeah. Um, you know, what? Okay, there's only so much information that we can glean from this, right? Yes, I can't so, wait for this question. <laughs> Like, this question. What what should we look for here? Ooh. Anything? <laughs> uh, look for guys to not get hurt, and that's right. about it. That's that's the, about it. That's I mean, for, again, so because you're not going to put anything on tape, obviously. Well, they're not preparing for any opponent either, so it's not like they're game planning anything. Right. They're they're out they're out there. It's fan service. Every spring game is fan service. You want to like have have a day where your fans can come out and and act as if it's a it's a normal football Saturday. They get tailgate and whatever else. So 
it's it's really for the fans more than anything else. And then you go through this practice, and when you hope no one gets hurt, and the fans enjoy it, and and you get out on skate, and everybody's happy. I, I think fans want to you know know about the quarterback battle. How's that coming along? I have nothing for you. No one has anything. <laughs> I've got no, 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 no. That's not true, Murph. I got I got the scoop. I got oh boy, well, that's right. Okay, I'm I got to wait. I, 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 we need Eric, to know. I got it. Eric has scooped me on this, but I will wait. No, I will, I will just say I think fans are interested to see what Wimbush looks like. Also, what Dylan Gabriel, uh, yes. the freshman from Hawaii, looks like as well. Well, there, there. Uh, yes, th- this just in. You're going to see all of them on Saturday, and I'm going to go on a limb here for the Florida A&M game. I think Mac will start, or Brandon Wimbush, or <laughs> Dylan Gabriel, or Quadri Jones, and we may not know until the week of the game. That's my that's my uh, scoop. That's that's a solid take. I think it's. I, th- I think you're on safe ground there, kind of all. And, and- Encompassing yes. the entire quarterback room. He's, he's, I, he's, I, I he's hedged it. He's, he's hedged his bet successfully. And, 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 just, quad, and by the way, another. I'm going to give you another spoiler about the spring game. You're going to see a lot of great athletes out there. Oh they look, man, they look great. Yeah. They look great. I mean, they look phenomenal, and they're going to look great. And you're, everybody's going to every receiver that you're going to see has a potential to run, uh, catch for a thousand yards. Oh every yes, yes. Okay. Rush for, I mean, it's going to be. We're going to be. Let's we may not lose game. for the next decade. We may well, not. Adrian Killen, cliche game. Yeah. Adrian Killen said a couple like Adrian Killen said last week that this offense is better than the That's offense right. last year. Like, oh, here we go. Of course it is. Here, here, yeah. Here's what's gonna happen. We look we look very sharp on offense. We look very aggressive on defense. Um, yeah, everyone seems to understand the playbook extremely well. All the new guys have come in, they've gotten acclimated to the system extraordinarily well. We're ahead of schedule on that. Everybody's everybody's going to nitpick every throw and everybody's going to jump to ridiculous conclusions that don't matter because the real practices that matter are going to be in August. That's when we're going to learn, you know, who's going to play, who's not going to play and things like that. Because I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember in the 20s prior to the 2017 season, I don't remember anybody coming out of that spring game saying, boys, we're going undefeated. We're going to go to the Peach Bowl and claim a national title. I don't recall that coming out of that spring game. Maybe I missed it. I, I might have missed it, but I don't recall that uh, coming out of the spring game. So that's my point is that spring games are relevant and pointless. Can we? Okay. Real quick. I want to know from you guys. I'm just. By way, you've that. noticed the trend. More schools are canceling those games now. Have you noticed that? No, I didn't notice that. Well, who canceled theirs? Uh, there's been a handful of schools that have uh, well, canceled games. Uh, uh, the one school canceled. Was it Kansas State canceled because they don't have enough. They don't have enough players. DCU, DCU, DCU. That's what it was. Another purple school. Um, didn't not have enough players. And then how, how other, you not other have ones enough players. <laughs> no, like, like, no, no, no. Like, like, there's guys who are banged up, and you don't want to put them through a spring game, so they just say, "Screw it, we're not going to do this." And then other ones have been like postponed because of weather. I don't know if they've been plowed, uh-huh. canceled. I mean, I mean Michigan, no I don't think, is having one. Yeah, Michigan, Wisconsin is not having one. You mean Iowa to tell State. me Harbaugh's not having a spring game? No, because it doesn't matter. That's the I, point. I, I, would have, I would have pegged him to actually host the Michigan spring game at, like, the IMG Academy or something like that. You know? <laughs> well, maybe that's that's more of the summer trip, maybe. I don't know. Uh, okay. Nobody, I mean, nobody really. I mean, and I'm glad that the national media has toned down their coverage of spring game. If you notice, nobody even like ESPN doesn't even hype up the fact they carry spring games anymore. Uh, I actually Unless believe my you're prediction... watching the SEC network, in which case Correct. it's on repeat. <laughs> those people, those people have no life and there's all that's all. I mean, I, I remember when I went to Birmingham 
and the top story in the news was how Bo Scarborough looked fantastic in the spring game. That's how much of losers they are over there in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> but, um, look, if it was up to me, I wouldn't. I mean, I think spring games across the board would just be out, uh, abolished. Yeah. Is there well, any is is there any way to make them better for anybody? No, no, no. It, no, it, it's, it's, again, it's just fan service. That's all it is. It's for the fans to come out and say, hey, we're going to treat this like an actual game and let's have fun. And you're going to see guys running up and down the field. And it's football and it's March. And, you know, there's no real football going on. RIP AAF. It's, it's, a, so, it's a hit to get you through the summer. Is what it, it is. The it's Predators just, yeah. starting their year. Come on. By the way, by the way, uh, Michigan is having a spring game. I just I, I checked it. They are actually. Having a spring. Where? Really? They restored it? Yeah, they are. Happened? I don't know, but they are. But TCU is not um, because they're injured. I will say also, I'm interested. This is what I'm most interested in. I'm most interested to see what kind of media presence there will be there for this game on Saturday because the Magic are getting a ton of media presence for this weekend yeah. because they're they're in the playoffs. Correct. So so you have to right. choose. What are you going to do? Well, and they're playing in Toronto. They're going to play the Raptors. So how many of them are going to travel to Toronto? Things like that. You got to. I agree with you, Murph. I mean, the magic is the big story. I'm sorry, in the community, this is a magic town, after all. Blue white ignite, baby. Um, so first, first time. Dust, in the, it, dust it off that slogan for the first time. Well, no, that's years. what they did. First time they're in the playoffs in seven years. So um, look, my whole point about the spring game, you're not going to learn anything from this. Coaches aren't going to. They're not going to just say, "Hey, everybody, this guy's going to start." All right, we learned a lot. No, you know, it is what it is. You're just getting through the spring. And we make a bigger deal than it really is. Nobody's going to remember the spring game three months from now when we talk about the season opener against FAMU. And it's going, hey, remember in the spring game when this kid left? No, nobody's going to, nobody's going to say it. <laughs> let, let me ask you guys. Th- this is the last question I'll ask you about the spring oh, game. Oh, no. Last, no, 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 no. No, don't. Please don't elaborate very much on this. But you guys talk to coaches on the record, off the record all the time, right? I mean, it, it's, it's what you guys do. Have any coaches, like, at, at any point, you know, uh, past or present, you know, when you ask them anything about the spring game, do they like off the record tell you this is the dumbest freaking thing ever? And I wish it would just die. Not in those exact terms. <laughs> like, 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 that's all I'll say. <laughs> okay, no, I well, mean, yeah, I don't think in those terms. Yeah, okay, I think the big... you don't have to name names. You just give me something that they said it that they say about it. Like, what do the coaches really think about this? Coaches don't. Coaches don't love don't love the spring game. Uh, I mean, it, it, they, they, there's really no need for them to do it. Uh, they, they'd rather not. Um, but it's again, well, it's, not, it's, it's not about them. It's for the fans. Yeah. Because, and this is the thing I've, that I've heard over the years is you're hoping your players actually improve between now and when they return in the summer or whenever their, their report date is in August. That's it. it, it like certain players, just cause they don't look good now. doesn't mean they can't improve until August. That's the thing. There's huge improvements to be made. The goal is, how do you look in August, not how you look in April? Um, right. And I think people miss the boat on that. You're not, uh, you know, you, you, you're going to look them out, get used to their players. I think they look for certain things, but at the end of the day, the August practices, the practices, the closed practices are the valuable things, not the spring game. The spring game is just like just a throwaway in my, I think, yeah. for coaches. Don't you think, Murph, like all the practices they've had to uh, get a Wimbush involved with the players and the system and the playbook, that's the value of the spring. It's not the game. It's uh, the, the spring game. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, again, it's not like, I think, again, you told it, talked about, like, it's not a game. Okay. It's not, it's not a game. We're not, we're not talking about a game at all. We're talking about practice. Practice, not a game. Talking about practice, practice. man. 
By the way, I'm looking at just not a game. Not a game. We're not a game. Practice. Uh, doing, doing a quick Google search. Uh, so uh, I know that I, I think Iowa State. Yes, Iowa State is skipping their spring game. Uh, By the way, I missed. Oh, I missed Rhode. That was the. Uh, that was last year spring. They all canceled oh, okay. it. It was not this year. My oh. bad. Let me let me tell you how let me tell you how much of a disaster that's going to be for the entire economy of the state of Iowa that the Iowa State spring game is not happening. Hey, Ames is a big deal. So yeah, <laughs> but you don't have to have a you can have a you can skip a spring game and still have a football program. Those things that that's actually a real really. Thing. Oh, that's gosh! This is a really cynical show today. Oh no, <laughs> we, it's, it's cynical. Just had no, no, no! <laughs> it's only cynical about things that don't matter. And otherwise, like you're, you're cynical about UCF basketball. That's because you were unrealistic to start. Correct. Well, I, I'm, I, 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 you know me. I like to play devil's advocate here. I'm oh like, hey, boy, grinding my gears. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. I mean, my thing is like I, I've said this also about like people who freak out about like high school commits is like. If, you know, if a guy doesn't want to be here, go, <laughs> you know, go, go somewhere. I, I think I, I saw, I saw someone, happy. I, I saw someone was, I don't know. I think it was about Terrell Allen transferring. I saw someone come in. I wish players had more loyalty. I'm like, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> go away, go away. Go away. <laughs> oh. Block that person on Twitter immediately. I mean, that's, oh, that, man. That is, are you serious? Like, what are we talking but that, about? But that's All not right. that, is, that is not a that is not a, a singular thought. Like that's that's most like that's a big portion of fans across college sports think that when players transfer, like they're they're screwing over the program. Give me a break. That, but nobody because, has a problem when they come to your program. You know, when they yeah, exactly. Right. Well, well, here's the thing. Like, we as regular students, like we all went to UCF. If we eventually wanted to transfer from. You know, you see at some point in our college career from, you know, as journalism and radio TV majors to another school, like there's no barriers there. But just because you happen to play a sport as an extracurricular activity, suddenly it's it's an affront to all that is good with America that you decide to transfer. What the hell are we talking about? I mean, my biggest problem is with the NCAA, like they're trying to get rid of the grad transfer, which to me is the most idiotic thing of them all. Like if you did your work, if you graduated and you still have a year of eligibility, why are you, why don't he, wasn't that student have a right to go somewhere else to improve their work environment? Right. I mean, isn't that the whole point of going to college is right. trying to help set up for your future job. I mean, that's why I just have a problem with the hypocrisy of the NCAA. Like you're trying to get rid of the grad transfers. Like, like, you know, they, they did their work. So I, I don't have a yep. problem if a kid wants to transfer. He's trying <laughs> right. to go to a situation that's better for himself. Breaking news. NCAA exploring stupid idea that should be yeah. shot into the sun. Anyway. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's yeah, let's wrap this thing up here. Um, Murph, uh, what are you working on uh, this week? Well, what am I talking? No, you're not working at all this I'm week. I'm not you're working on anything, vacation. Jeffrey. I'm going to vacation. <laughs> what are we going to what are we going to do? Like, we're going to, you're going to come back and like, you know, there, there, maybe we'll have a basketball team. I don't know. Oh, oh please. Wow. <laughs> come on, man. You're just the worst. I'm just, I'm just really you guys. I'm just the guys. worst. Um, I, yeah, it's, I don't even know if it's a vacation since I'm only be gone for 48 hours, but, uh, it's not, it's not a vacation unless you, unless you completely turn off your Twitter notifications. No, I can't do that. Cause sports, oh, um, but, uh, but we'll see. And Hey, here's what I'm doing this weekend. I I'm getting in Sunday night. I get back in from San Antonio on Sunday night in Orlando 
and mm-hmm. I am covering up my eyes and my ears and everything, every sense organ I have to make sure that I don't get any spoilers about the Game of Thrones season oh. clear, oh, Sunday oh night. Oh, be still my beating heart. I cannot wait. Oh, my God. I spit. This is not a joke. I, this is... So we went out to practice today. Talked to Josh Heifel for 10 minutes. I came back and HBO was, is airing a season of Game of Thrones per day during this week. I literally sat here all day and wrote and the others, you know, and, and, and just went about my day. Meanwhile, the entire season three of Game of Thrones was playing in the background. I just finished the entire season as this podcast began. It was a great 10 hours. I have no regrets. I just can't, man. I just can't do it. I it's it's fantastic. Uh, I don't know. Maybe one day, Elo. What you got? Wow. Uh, well, on Black I don't know how you're gonna follow that. Up. <laughs> I don't know. Not, 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 no, 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 uh, Game of Thrones for uh, whatever there for me there, but uh, I will say there's gonna be content up on BlackandGoldBanneret.com about the inductees, right? Uh, like some uh, stuff yep. on Kime, some stuff on Alini Reyes. We've already got we stuff got on Leary. Yep. We got Jerry O'Neill's uh, thoughts on uh, Brandon Marsh. We're going to have all that, all right, hopefully by the time this is airing. Uh, I will be at the Hall of Fame ceremony on Friday, and then I'll be calling the games on Saturday and Sunday with UCF-USF, and then in between all that, watching every minute of the NBA playoffs, which includes our very own Orlando Magic, ladies and gentlemen, as I root for them. I have to correct you on something, Eric Lopez. Uh, what you mean is the... 2019 Southeast Division champion. That's right, Orlando baby. Man. Put the banner up. The banner's coming up, baby. Opening Ain't night next man. year. It's going to be emotional. It's been a long it's, time uh, since we've had a banner up in this city. Well, uh, I watch. I I will say this. I listen. I, I I like watching the NBA, but I have not watched the Magic at all this year, except for their last two games, their last home game, and then the game in Boston, and. Right. I th- that game in Boston was a fun, fun watch. That was a that was a that was as much fun as I had watching a Magic game since the Stan Van Gundy, Dwight Howard days. Just the brand well, of they played hard. Steve, they, played they played really well. well. Steve Clifford, Steve Clifford's yeah. done a heck of a job, and they actually Terrence drew a Ross, good, man. Whew. Yeah, Ross has been great. Vucevic has been great. They're going to play Toronto, which has a history of choking in the playoffs. So I'm actually optimistic that the Magic could push this at worst to six games, maybe. So I can get interesting storylines in that series. In that series, too, by the way, Eric Lopez, because Ross was in was in Toronto. Is that right? Yep, yep. He was part of the trade when they did a Baca to Toronto. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, for more magic coverage, check out our friends at SB Nation at Orlando Pinstripe Post. They will be covering the playoffs there as a yes. cross promote our SB Nation's friends there. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I'll be covering the magic there. Uh, I'll be looking at the dates, going to the home games, hoping we get three home games so I get three paychecks out of it. It's a beautiful thing. That'll work. That'll work. Yeah. And you can follow, but by the way, you can follow them at Orlando Pinstriped Post. It's past tense. Pinstriped. Uh, post and uh make sure you also uh follow them um as well managing editor mike Callie, will ogburn and uh zach oliver I mean, boy zachary boy, yeah zach's a good guy zach is awesome I mean, make sure make sure you give zach a follow uh he is by the way at uh i'm pulling up his twitter handle right now zach oliver nba z-a-c-h oliver nba and who would have thought uh, who would have thought the magic would be in the playoffs and LeBron i know James? huh i know i know and, I hold uh, it up. 
Hey, who would have thought that the New Orlando Magic could be in the playoffs, but Magic Johnson was not? Well, right, okay. I think I think we all know who the Laker fan is here. We yeah. all okay. Ha ha. Yes, my my franchise is a tire fire. I get it. Thank you. Listen, listen. Welcome to being the rest of the NBA for once. Like, <laughs> man, okay. Uh, the shot in front runs deep, doesn't yes, it? <laughs> it very much. You're speaking, you're speaking to a longtime New Jersey Nets fan. Okay. Mm. I, I don't talk to me about dumpster fires. I will tell there was a dumpster fire out in the Meadowlands for about three decades that I had to deal with. Um, by the <laughs> way, OP, yeah. OPP magic blog on Twitter, by the way, for uh, our friends at the Orlando Pinstripe to post. Um, we also have uh, uh, Jeremy Brenner is doing a little spring game preview. Three things to watch uh, for the uh, UCF football spring game. Make sure you check that out. And also, we didn't, uh, we didn't do we didn't do a very good job promoting that at all as we derided <laughs> as we derided the spring game entirely. Well, it's it's listen. This is this is the challenge for Jeremy as he as he will actually try and convince us oh, of why excited. we should be. He's generally he's, he's going to be he's, he's, he's yeah. excited. He's looking forward to every. He's going to break down every snap. Him and Zach Goodall, I'm sure, will break down every snap yeah. uh, of that spring game and break and, it down. Uh, and also, Luke Saris is going to be looking at uh, at the returning production for UCF men's basketball and examining. Uh, he'll actually be giving us uh, his way too early projection of a starting five. UCF <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey, I can't wait for Jeff's reaction to this. Yeah, it, well, he, well, yeah, that's right. Well, he texted. We were texting each other today, and for a minute there, I was like, I was like, way too early, starting five. I'm like, we don't have five players. What are you talking about? But anyway, God darn uh, it, Jeffrey. I know, I know, oh. I know. All right, well, let's let's wrap it up here. Don't forget to follow us at blackgoldbanner.com dot com for all of that and plenty more. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackgoldbanneret. And Twitter at UCF underscore banner. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric at Eric Lopez Elo, Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy, Luke at Luke Sarris SBN, Jeremy Brenner at Jeremy Brenner, and Zach Goodall at Zach Goodall as well. By the way, NFL draft coming up pretty soon, so we're going to be leaning on Zach a lot more in the next couple weeks, and that should be a lot of fun. He, he gives yeah, great gonna NFL have to get him draft. Going to have to get, get him got, on the pod. Got to get him on the pod before the NFL draft to talk some UCF stuff and uh, and, and just pick his brain because, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I get way too excited to talk to Zach Goodall about NFL draft stuff. Anyway, let's get out of here. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. The Magic are in the playoffs. Make sure you watch them against Toronto. Enjoy the weekend, folks. We'll catch you next week.